You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. What's up, college hackers? Welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. I'm Thomas Frank. I'm your host and the owner of the greatest beard amongst college success bloggers and podcasters in the entire internet. And if you don't believe me, well then, prove it. That's all I have to say. Now, on today's episode, I'm going to be talking to my friend Britt McGinnis, who is the author of a fictional novel. I met Britt back at the World Domination Summit in July of this year in Portland, and when I met her, she let me know that she had written um, a fictional novel called Gin and Brimstone. It's an urban fantasy novel, and it's around 280 pages long. And the first question that popped into my mind, as somebody who is a writer of blog posts, and a wannabe writer of books in the future is how do you sit down and create something of that length and make it all um, come into one giant work and and be cohesive. So in this episode, I'm going to talk to Britt about her writing process and what she does to get from an idea to a finished product. She has her first book done and published, which you can go check on Amazon, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And she's also got a rough draft pretty much done for a second book. And this is all while she's holding down a regular part-time or a regular full-time job. So obviously, I'm curious about her process. And if you're curious about the writing process as well, you'll like this episode. The rest of the episode is honestly kind of a fun conversation. Britt and I have a lot in common. We're both geeks, so we'll talk about um, some anime, some TV shows and movies. We also talk about her philosophy on paying off student debt and living a frugal life. So all around, I think this is just a fun episode. I think you'll like it a lot. And before we get into it, we got a couple things to take care of in the intro. So let's get through those things. First and foremost, if you have questions about college, then email them to me. My email is thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. Not only will I get to those personally for you if I can, but we also do monthly Q&A episodes on the College Info Geek podcast. My roommate Martin and I will pick a video game, we'll play it together for about an hour, and we'll answer five reader questions on the podcast while we do it. We've already done three of those. Those are episodes 18, 25, and 29 if you want to check them out. So if you send in a question, then it will more than likely be featured on a Q&A episode and we'll tackle it in depth. So send those questions in. If you have questions on how to study better, how to take notes, how to get an internship, how to pay off your debt, whatever it may be, I want to hear them. I want to answer them for you. All right, so let's move on to the resources of the week. Every single week, I'm going to bring you one tool that can make your life easier and one learning resource that can enlighten you. So this week's featured tool is called Kogi, and I believe I'm pronouncing that right, but Kogi is an app for both iPhones and Android phones, and it helps you record lectures in a smarter way. Now, while you could just open the Voice Notes app and record the entire lecture every time you go to class, you would end up with an hour's worth of material every single time you went to class. And it would be basically like going to class again if you tried to listen to it. And skipping through it is very difficult. I know this because I have to skip through podcast episodes that are about the same length as a class and edit them and and find links that I mentioned and show notes and things. And it takes a while. And you don't want to be doing this for every single class you have. So if you want to record lectures, then Kogi will let you do it in a smarter way. And how it does this is it listens to the entire lecture. It essentially records it, but it doesn't keep everything until you want it to. So when you hear something important come up, you tap the app while it is listening and it will go back and it will save the point 15 seconds before you tapped 
and then it will keep recording from that point onward until you tap it again to stop. So basically what you can do is set the app to listen to the entire lecture. And when important things come up, you can tap it. You can save those things. And then when you're done recording for the, when the class is ended, you'll have a concise uh, list of little bookmarks from the lecture, little important bits that you can go back to and review. So it's almost like having somebody next to you taking notes alongside you. So you can take your own regular notes in your notebook or on your computer with Evernote, but you also have an audio log with the, uh, the highlights that you can go back and listen to later. And I think this is an awesome idea and I'm stoked that the app is on both platforms, Android and iPhone. There are also other apps like this. So Kogi isn't the only one, but I played with it myself and I really like it so far. So definitely check it out. It's free, I believe. Um, and I'll be linking to it in the show notes. Now this week's featured resource for learning is, uh, well, it's a globe. <laughs> um, as I was recording this, I noticed that my globe is sitting on my desk because I use it for a prop in um, when I do videos, but I bought my globe for a specific reason. I wanted to get better at geography, and when I have just a couple of free moments, it's fun to just turn the globe in my hands, look at things, and realize, whoa, I didn't realize that New Zealand was there. I thought it was up here. Oh, I didn't realize that uh, Taiwan was down here. I thought it was a little bit more uh, north. It just having a globe around gives you a, a reminder every once in a while of geography and eventually you just get better at it. You can also use a globe just to uh, get some travel inspiration. So and it looks damn cool. And you could probably find one for 30 bucks at the bookstore or for like two cents at a garage sale. And it's just one of those things that's useful. It looks cool. It's a learning resource. And I like it a lot. So not an app for your phone or something you can read, but definitely something that will help you learn. All right, so on to the listener tip of the week. During each episode, I want to feature a tip from a listener about doing better in school, landing jobs and internships, or mastering your money. One of those three topics. And if you have a tip and would like to have it featured on the show, email it to me. Once again, my email is thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. Or you can tweet it to me. I'm at Tom Frankly on Twitter. And I'll feature that tip along with your name if you like. And maybe a website or a Twitter profile or whatever it may be. I can give that a shout out as well. So send those tips in. This week's tip comes from Rob Schrage. And he says, skim lecture material a few minutes before class. That way you'll recognize concepts in class and be better prepared. This is a simple tip, but I like it. It um, reminds me of the tip to look at the table of contents or look at the outline of a reading before you do it. It basically just primes your brain for the concepts when they're going to come in uh, in the bulk of the lecture. And you'll be ready to pick out those very important big ideas when they come along. So definitely a great tip. Thanks, Rob. And hey, if you want to submit a tip, like I said, get it into me and I'll feature it on the show. All right. So if you are liking the show. If it's being helpful to you, if you're getting some good stuff out of it, then the best thing you can do to support the show and also make it more convenient for you is to subscribe in iTunes. And by doing that, you'll get the latest episode every single week on Monday delivered straight to whatever device you listen on. And also subscribing helps bump the show up in the rankings in iTunes. It shows the show to more students in the uh, what's hot section, uh, top podcast sections. And it makes me very, very happy. So subscribe. You'll be happy. I'll be happy. And that's all I have to say about that. By the way, the subscribe link is in the show notes. And if you want to get the show notes, which include that subscribe link, it includes quotations that you can tweet out or save from the uh, from the podcast. Cool things that I thought were worth turning into quotables um, links to any resources. I mention uh, websites, tools, books that are mentioned within the podcast. You can find those show notes at sigpodcast.com, C-I-G where you'll find the episode 30 link. 
You can click on that and you'll find everything there. All right, so that's it. Let's get into this interview with my friend Britt. Thanks, man. <laughs> it happens. So, How are things over in objectively better city? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, let me think. Just because stuff has been going on. Uh, Junior League has been great. That's probably my most direct link to objectively better city. What's been what's been great? Junior League. Junior League. It's like a sorority slash honor society for adult women. Okay. I have it's, never heard of that. Portland has the third oldest in the nation after Philadelphia and New York. Okay. So is it it's something like people who are done with college, they want to still kind of keep involved with things? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, basically, just a lot of women joined because they want to keep in touch with people or mm. they want to just find friends in a new city. I'm sending you the link to ours right now. But it's just great. It's a volunteer society, basically. Is it like uh, like Rotary kind of? Kind of. Yeah, but it's women only. OK, cool. I have not heard of this. It's it's an ancient institution. Those are open. Of course, I hadn't really like given a whole lot of thought to like Rotary and all those other things until uh, recently. <laughs> it's so good for networking, man. That's yeah, why I joined. My girlfriend's uncle is part of it, and then we stayed with uh, we stayed with another couple, and the husband was like the president of his town's Rotary, and they're like, "You should join it." That's cool. And I was like, "Yeah, maybe I'll do that. That could be pretty cool." it's nice to just have a sense of like belong to a group after college if you weren't in fraternity or sorority yeah i definitely agree and i was not in a fraternity ever were you uh no i that's actually one of my college regrets i wish i would have tried pledging really well just well it's just because hmm first of all uvo has such a huge like an enormous fraternity and sorority scene but that means that there's a lot of nuance within it hmm like there's, there were Jewish fraternities, there were all African American fraternities, there were the quote super ap- academic sororities, and I actually knew someone who was a sister in that, and she was totally into science, like the biggest nerd, super pleasant person. And then there were the super partying sororities. So there was so much nuance within fraternities and sororities, which is really rare. You know, there probably was uh, the same, maybe not the same, but there probably was a similar level of nuance and variety in the fraternities that were available for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess the the one thing is I wanted to basically be my own man and be able to do whatever I wanted. Yeah, I and, get like, that. And just put together. So I like had all my own clubs and, and friends and everything. But the thing that really cinched it for me was uh, when I was when I was in training to be an orientation assistant, we had to go tour a frat house. Mm-hmm. And because we needed to know everything about the university, basically. Right. So we do this and the, the dude gets us to the top of the stairs to the second landing right before he's about to show us the cold airs in the dorms. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so up here uh, every Friday and Saturday night, one of the brothers has to stand here. <laughs> and it's their job to make sure that their fellow brothers don't get into too much trouble or that they basically they can make it to bed. And I was, I didn't say this, but I was like, let me get this straight. You want me to pay you, you know, however many thousand dollars a year to mm-hmm. live in this house and babysit. Hey man, <laughs> I, don't you do that for free for in college for people you already know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, when I was, uh, when I was an RA, it was kind of my job, but I at least yeah, got paid exactly. for that. Exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely, 
I mean, Yugo definitely has a legacy of crazy frat life. But at the same time, it's like you have a bond with those people forever, too. Yeah. And it's amazing for networking. And yeah, it's expensive, but you get to live in probably some of the best off-campus housing. And I, I don't know. I was really impressed by how many thoroughly decent people you can meet in fraternity and sororities, you know? Right. Now, for for what's what's the university that you went to again? I went to the University of Oregon. Oh, so is it just you owe? Yeah. Okay. And, and the place where Animal House was filmed. Oh, seriously? Yeah, my my dad and I watched it a lot before I you left. <laughs> maybe this is weird. Maybe this is not because I run a college website, but it's like the opposite. But I have never seen Animal House. It's it's a classic. And it, it's, it's weird because I love John Belushi. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. <laughs> I need to eventually see it. Isn't like uh, Chevy Chase in it too, or something? I think maybe Chevy Chase when he was really young, it doesn't stand out to me. Okay. Yeah, I just, I have never seen it. But, <laughs> it's um, a good movie. It's, it's a definitely, I see why it was a classic. Mm. So was, uh, was it like off-campus housing, like apartments, or was it like an actual house? It was a house house. Okay. I know they, uh, for some of the places in Ames, it's like you live in the house for maybe the first two years. Mm-hmm. And then they've got actual like apartments they own next to the house that the older people tend to go live in. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but honestly, like the most exposure I ever had to a fraternity or sorority house was like one slight tour. And then when I was in Oregon ballroom dance club and we were making a petition to them to do more events with them. And they yeah. were very nice. So, <laughs> so, um, so like, what was your decision or why did you decide not to be in a sorority while you were in college? Honestly, I had, a lot of anxiety in college and I think just during freshman year I was just trying to find my feet and that's the time when you have to pledge like you can't really pledge later than that in our current in the Greek system I was exposed to mm. okay I guess I didn't really know a whole lot about the Greek system I figured you could start later but maybe not uh, I don't think so I, it's kind of a thing where you, where you set in and then you're kind of locked in for better or worse okay interesting so since I'm interviewing you about being a writer did you okay. did you go for writing or something uh, close? I don't know if we talked about this in Portland, but mm-hmm. refresh my memory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, basically, hmm, I, I'm very proud of my path for writing in college because it's very, very winding and just great. I basically started off, I was very interested in science. I originally went to UVO because I had a fantastic biology program. I had a job in biology. I just wanted to dive headfirst into science and Basically, I found out I hated science, but I loved science, if you know what I mean. The love-hate relationship. I wanted to keep science in my life, but I didn't want to make a career out of science. Mm, okay. So, so I like, kept, fascinating, but you don't want to slog through the data, like, eight hours a day. Well, slog through data and just, I didn't have a gift for chemistry. I just didn't have a gift. And I felt like my overall feeling was if I have to do this for the rest of my life, then I'm not going to be good at this. Mm. So part of college was just reconnecting with my writer self that I had had when I was very young and just trying to make a career out of that. I wrote for many campus publications. I basically hung around the journalism school enough so that most of my friends came out of the journalism school but I never changed my major because I changed my major a few times already. And I was really scared that I wouldn't graduate in four years. Okay. But th- did you end up graduating four years then? Yes, I did. Okay. Awesome. Still ended up with a 
debts, but maybe you should talk about that with two years. We're all graduating with debt. I mean, oh, yeah. I was on track to graduate with a lot of debt, mm-hmm. and it's only because I was very stubborn about it. Um, <laughs> you know, up until like the middle midpoint, almost midpoint of my senior year, I was still like, I'm probably not going to be able to do this. I guess I'll just wait till I get a job, wait till I graduate, and then pay off my debt then. Mm-hmm. And only because my website became successful was I ever able to change that goal back to, okay, no, let's do it before <laughs> I graduate and figure yeah. out <laughs> how thanks to make for, this happen. Thanks for being real about that, man. Yeah. For, like, um, I guess maybe I haven't told you this story, but um, I, I set the goal back when I found Steve Cam's sort of like epic quest of awesome list. And at the same time, I saw <laughs> Joel Runyon's impossible list and I stole the name of his and I was like, a really cool impossible goal would be to pay off all my debt before I graduated. Mm-hmm. Well, then uh, after junior year, I went to Japan and spent like almost all my money that summer that I had saved. <laughs> and I was like, well, that goal is down the toilet. So I guess I'll wait until I get a job. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like on yeah. track. I was on track to move to Minneapolis. I was thinking about just getting a job like in web development there. Uh, and it didn't, you know, that was the track until things started picking up. And I was like, all right, well, let's reevaluate those goals and see if I can do it again. So, yeah, definitely like wasn't on track the entire time. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) I I definitely I've been out of college two years now. And I feel like I've stumbled so much coming out of college. But again, I'm almost happy about that because I'm now convicted to pay off my debt primarily. I was Mm -hmm. in such a hurry to start my career and start my real job. You know what I mean? But now that I'm slightly wiser, I realize that I need, without paying off my debt, I probably will not feel free. Mm -hmm. You know? Which it took a while for me to admit that. It took, I I really wanted to recommend this book to your listeners. It's called Walden on Wheels. So, So what's the book about? The book is, well, it's fantastic. It's basically, it's a true story about one recent college graduate who, instead of directly trying to work in his field or directly just trying to get a job, he decides to go to Alaska, which he's only been to once before, and basically work seasonal jobs that would provide him room and board, but were basically the grungiest jobs you could imagine and pay off his debt as soon as possible. Really? Yeah, he sacrifices career progress and just living trappings and just all of that and decides to just wipe out his debt as soon as possible because he realizes that he'll never really feel free until his debt is gone. And he sees a lot of his friends, and I've definitely known people like this, who leap directly into the workforce, who immediately want to have their own apartments, have a dog, have just all of the trappings of adult life but then feel very, very trapped because yeah. they have so much debt and it influences so many of their decisions. The trappings. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it, I, it is. I mean, I personally, I live with my boyfriend and I live with a parent right now, mm-hmm. but I definitely am thankful for that anchor because we both faced unemployment after college. And it was nice to sacrifice a little bit of expectation on what adult life is like just to have a little bit of stability post-graduation. Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, even though I've been out of school for almost a year and a half now, 
Mm-hmm. I'm still living in the same apartment. I'm still paying like three fifty a month for rent, which probably sounds insane to people on the coast. <laughs> no, that's I know many people who would kill for that debt. I know, right? Um, Sorry, not debt, and, rent. <laughs> yeah, no, three hundred fifty dollars of debt would be pretty cool too. I mean, hey, I, if well, you're going like, to have debt, that's probably a pretty good number. But see, imagine if you could take that three hundred and fifty dollars and applied it directly to whatever debt you had. Oh yeah. Well, I was talking about like a total amount. Yeah, I guess. Totally. totally. Three fifty a month is not nice for debt, but that's what a lot of people are going to have. That's but, the uh, average of what I pay every month, not counting additional payments. That is my scheduled payment. And that's is that pretty, on? Is that on mostly federal loans then? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was I was very lucky. Well, quote unquote lucky to have all federal based loans as opposed to Sally May or private or parent co-signed loans. Yeah. Well, mine actually were like, they were transferred over to Sally May, I guess. Oh dear. That's not good. Well, no, it was fine. Um, I mean, you know, I'd heard the same horror stories that you did, but I guess mm-hmm. Sally May used to be a private enterprise and then yes. they sort of merged with the government. So okay. now they like administrate federal loans as well. Oh, that's a and it actually wasn't too bad. Like they, they had an online thing or uh, like a dashboard where I could see where my loans were. I could mm-hmm. choose which one to pay off. Oh, yeah. No, so like, I'm, yeah, since for me, since mine hadn't come due yet because I was still in school, like I didn't have to worry about making minimum payments. So I would just pick one and pay it off in full. And then I went to the next one, Absolutely. which was nice. But like I, I would say for people who are currently paying off loans, do like the, you know, your minimum payments on both or however many you have, and then pick the one with the highest interest rate and like shove as much as you can towards that. Absolutely. It's like Absolutely. the stack method, I think. Yeah, it's the stack heard, method. Well, there's a I've snowball method. Method, yeah, there's a snowball where you're like supposed to pay off the smallest balance. <laughs> and then there's a stack, which is like the highest interest. And that's mathematically the best mm-hmm. way to do it. Mm-hmm. But apparently, like, Snowball is more motivational because you pay off loans faster. Oh, yeah. Like, it's super satisfying to just pick one and be like, I'm going to take care of all of this today. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, there's, like, a... I don't know. I guess for me, I, w- I wanted to graph everything. So I just graphed mm-hmm. my total. And then, like, <laughs> I got my motivation from seeing just the total amount go down. Mm-hmm. And, like, I use Excel for it, but you can use, like, Ready for Zero and other tools. Oh, yeah. Which oh, are pretty yeah. nice. But, uh, yeah, I kind of did the same thing that you're doing where I just haven't really upgraded my lifestyle a whole ton mm-hmm. i have it's so free i have so started free. spending way too much money on food <laughs> yeah see what you need to do is my boyfriend and i have a, actually have a great arrangement i am the driver of the okay. household plus i help with householdy type chores and because he works his day job before going to grad school is at a grocery store so he takes care of all of our food oh okay mm-hmm. so do you guys generally cook most of the time then uh, yes and no. We we are blessed to live in an area with a lot of really good local food options. I mean, there are technically some like taco trucks that are amazingly good, mm-hmm. but and are cheap enough than the actual cost of cooking at home. Really? So we have very wow. little. We have very little guilt about going out to eat because whenever we do go out to eat, we go somewhere extremely affordable. That's awesome. And you guys have some fantastic food there. Like I was just telling Anna yesterday, I think like we need to go to Portland (laughs) because for one, I want to go hiking and that was amazing. And, but for two, like I want to go back to the original. The original is my favorite restaurant in Portland. And just, (laughs) Portland is an amazing place just because it's finding local organic food is extremely easy. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just because it's nestled right between it's a port city. So even out in my suburb where I'm living, which is because it's where cheaper to live here, we have lots of access to imported fish, to local fish. I have I know a farm 45 minutes from here where my friend is working a summer job where I can get fresh berries and grass grown grass fed pork. That's you awesome. Know? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's there's so much here. We're close to farmlands. I drove to Salem last month for a bridesmaid fitting for my friend's wedding, and I literally passed by three vineyards, just really? stacks of grapes growing by, and then just a soybean farm and all of that. Now, so there's we have so plenty much of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's when you have such fresh food and fresh local good food by you so easily it's like you know you, there's less guilt about eating out because it's less than the cost of eating at home sometimes mm-hmm. but if you go to the original every day <laughs> i go there for every business meeting i can it's gonna be a little bit more <laughs> yeah well even then it's probably i think it's around the same price as going to somewhere like red robin oh yeah yeah um but going for business meals is good oh, then yeah, you can expense certainly. it i realized this year last year i did not track my uh gas mileage that i drove and oh man this year i'm doing it and i realized like i think i'm gonna be able to expense like seventeen hundred dollars off my yeah. income from that why not because i drive why enough not? like exactly that's i mean that's that's a pretty substantial chunk of change because i think you know when you're a business owner your tax rate's almost 40 percent yeah, absolutely. So freelancer, it's, it's I feel <laughs> I feel pretty dumb for not doing it last year. Well, again, now you know. That's the yeah. thing. I refuse to think of myself as a late bloomer because everything I would have hypothetically learned back then, I wasn't ready to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, the path isn't going to change just by like no. re- regretting it. So there's no point. Well, it's not even, not only just the path isn't going to change, but you changed from there until now. Right. And I just, well, and I refuse to, and I please, I want to convey this to college age listeners. You are not a loser for living at home if you have a direct reason why. Like as long as you never stop working toward your dream or you use that resource to achieve your dream, you have nothing to worry about. You know, you're not, you're not behind on being an adult, even though it may seem like that sometimes. Yeah, that's, yeah, I totally agree. Honestly, I think that the way you act is more of a sort of like marker for where you are in adulthood than just like your situation. Absolutely. Like if you're living at home, but you're you have goals and you're working toward them, and you're not like getting drunk off UV every weekend, then exactly you're an adult. <laughs> but if you have exactly. your own house and you're not doing any of those things, yeah. Which, and by the way, I'm convinced that half of our generation is not going to own houses, and I don't, mm. I don't weep over that at all. Yeah, well, as long as that's what you want, right? Yeah, if that's genuinely what you want, that's fantastic. But I think just the bubble bursting and mortgages mm-hmm. being sold off and given to everyone has made us way more skeptical of it. Yeah, that's true. And for the most part, I've been kind of like against house ownership personally. Like, I'm never going to tell anybody, don't do it. But for me, right. I'm like, why would I rent? Though I did listen to an interview with Mr. Money Mustache yesterday, <laughs> and that, that is a smart dude. Mm-hmm. But he has some uh, he had some good points about like just the enjoyment he gets out of life and like working on his house and everything. And it made me kind of rethink it probably yeah. not for the next five years, but maybe like on down the road. Oh, definitely. I, I just, yeah. yeah, I love what he did. Like he 
he just like <laughs> saved like half of his income for 10 years and now he's retired basically. Yeah. I, I love that. I love hearing stories of that. And I, one of the things I love and I see this happening all the time is that people are less afraid to follow their own bliss, whether it's in college or as an adult or just anything like that. People are less afraid. And I'm very happy to see that happening. You mean like now compared to in the past? Uh, yes. Now compared to in the 90s, in the early thousands, where it was just expected. You go to college, you get out, you find a job. And I see that still, but certainly not as much. Okay. So on this, oh yeah. So on this book, um, I'm curious. So he chose <laughs> to go like work the crap jobs, right? Initially. Yes. And again, I'm very glad now that I was living with a parent because when I first graduated college, I was convinced that the internship that I was working for was going to hire me. Oh, okay. I mean, and that just, didn't happen? Well, yes, but <laughs> I know that sounds very obvious now, but I was writing the most articles for them out of any of the other interns. My mm-hmm. articles were getting the most traffic. I revamped their social media strategy. So I was convinced, like, if they're going to hire anybody, they're going to hire me. And they didn't have anything available. And this mm-hmm. was a, not to say this is a crappy website, but this is just a website owned by a bigger company. Very skeleton crew. But at the same time, I was just, I was crushed. I was crushed because I felt like, oh gosh, now I have no prospects. Shoot. Yeah. So I, I went to work for a few startups in Portland. It was a very big tech startup scene. And just, it was actually kind of funny. I got notified by a couple of employers by just saying, hey, I write books, but I do social media on the side. And I was told by more than one of them, you should really just work on your writing. That seems like what you're really passionate about. It's like, well, I also like social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's I think it's very possible for people to have more than one passion, and I think that's important in life. Definitely, there was a there's a there's a little website that I like. It's called Daily Zen List. Oh, and I love it. Yeah, uh, it's the same dude who makes uh, fucking homepage dot net, which is also pretty great. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but he he wrote one post. I don't remember what it's called, but the first piece of advice was like have three hobbies: one to uh, one to like make you healthier, one to help you learn things and one to help you make money. Yes. Or something yeah. like that. And I really liked that. And I think like, yeah, just like have multiple different passions. That way, if one ends up becoming a lot of work, then you mm-hmm. have more like things to kind of fall back on when exactly. you need to relax. Exactly. So yeah, like. That was incredibly important. Yeah. I love running my business, but like it's it's stressful. And when it gets to be 7 p.m. at night, I don't want to like write more to relax right, right. <laughs> even though like i'm inspired by you and i want to write fiction now you know i, I have enough <laughs> writing projects on my belt at the, or on my plate at this time that like it, mm-hmm. it's just not gonna work you know yeah, i've already I, written yeah. so many thousand words for a day <laughs> yeah no it, i like jumping to different subjects too in my writing and that just that replenishes me i'm actually can i plug something real quick oh sure this is actually going to be published on a blog my friend's blog called the unaccomplished lady and i am doing (laughs) we are starting a subject uh total series called princess dreads movie challenge because my nickname on the site is princess dread and i will be doing the roger ebert film challenge first seven movies in seven days 30 movies in 30 days and then 500 movies in 365 days now is that like to watch and review them not necessarily review them the idea (laughs) 
the pitch, and this is eventually going to be a book. The pitch is that if you don't go to grad school, how do you learn about life? Okay. And so the idea is that Roger Ebert dropped out of grad school to review films because he found the load way too compromised. So he dropped out of his graduate program to go with his offered gig at the Chicago Tribune to review films. Okay. And so I'm going to see what I quote unquote learn about life by basically seeing movies because they are modern art. In yeah. A way. You know, I bet that you would probably learn a lot from movies if you had to go and write about them afterwards. Oh, absolutely. I'll be writing a bit about everyone. I'm on day three, so I have to write about day two yesterday, which was where I watched The Village from M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. What did you watch for the first day? <laughs> uh, it's actually, this was not my plan, but part of this is also to expose myself to new art. Okay. The first day I watched a Japanese anime film called Akira. I love Akira. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it? I have seen it. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, no, it's... I didn't expect to see it, but it's like, you know what? This is here. The person I'm with is open to watching it. So I'm like, you know what? Why not have a sustain one? That's really cool. Yeah. I'm actually watching an anime. Uh, I started the first episode today because my mm -hmm. roommate recommended it. It's called Jormungand, I think. I've heard that name before. I have not seen it. It looks like another Black Lagoon to me, <laughs> which is cool because I love Black Lagoon. And I watched yeah. another one called Serial Experiments Lane. Oh, gosh. Which, I can't that. If you liked... Uh, Akira is more action based, but it's uh, definitely like cyberpunk y. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you like uh, Blade Runner and things like that, it could be something Wait, to check out. I adore Blade Runner. I, we recently got a, we found a deal for two weeks free on Hulu. There's an incredible amount of anime there. So, we're just trying new things. I, I love Tokyo Ghoul, what I've seen of it so far. Oh, really? My girlfriend yeah. loves that one too. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, we think we try a little bit of Ghost of the Machine. You mean Ghost in, in the, the Shell? Yes, Ghost in the Shell. Okay. Which are like, like the standalone cool. complex or like the movie? <laughs> the standalone. Okay. Just tried a little bit of that. We sampled One Piece, but I don't know if we're going to go down that rabbit hole. That's 600 some episodes so oh. far. <laughs> I know. It's so profitable. So but I, also, it, I love Kill a Kill. Oh, Kill a Kill is great. Kill a Kill is We just watched the, uh, the OVA that came out recently. Uh, have you seen Big O? Yeah, I watched Big O when I was like a like a preteen. Yeah, because it I, was on Toonami at the time. Gosh, yeah i I wish I'd gotten more exposed to anime when I was younger, just because it's. I'm not always into it, but the things I love, I adore. I adore Death Note. It's one of my favorites. That's one I need to watch. My friends it's keep telling me because they're like, good. oh, you like uh, you like logical stuff and you like Sherlock and all that. You need to watch Death Note. And I'm like, all right. It's a crime procedural with ancient Japanese demons. It's actually yeah. it's intriguing. That sounds great. Also, but, you're the only person I know who says the word right. Like even I say yeah. anime in America. <laughs> I, I had a lot of otaku fangirl friends when yeah. I was younger. And I say that in the most flattering way possible. <laughs> oh, speaking of favorite one thing that I wish I had watched in college, and especially in high school, is the anime Princess Jellyfish. I've never even heard of that one. It's okay. I watched this and I thought, why didn't I see this when I was a very nerdy girl in high school and college, but I didn't know quite what I was yet. Because it's basically, it's a story of five best friends who are all big fans of different things. Like one of them is wants to be a graphic artist and she's obsessed with jellyfish because she finds them just fascinating and beautiful. Okay. 
and one of them is obsessed with Japanese history, sorry, Chinese history. Another one collects ornamental dolls, and they're all very socially awkward, but they're great friends. Hmm. And it's just about them and their friendship, and because they all live in a big house together. Okay, so it's more like a slice of life then? It's definitely slice of life, but it's strange just because they, one of them encounters what they call the beautiful people, just like popular, very Harajuku district, just gorgeous Japanese girls. Yeah. And be, she actually becomes friends with her, so it's hard, but then she finds out that the Harajuku girl is a cross-dressing person. <laughs> like, okay. I don't want to say drag queen because he's very open about being a boy, but just loves dressing as a woman. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's not a transsexual too. So just, yeah. I'm dealing like, with boys and friendship across social strata and just all of that. It's very smart, very touching. So I'd wish I'd seen that early on. I'm just remembering like walking through Harajuku now. Mm-hmm. And there's this old dude who dresses up as a schoolgirl all the time. And he just like stands around and lets people take pictures with him. I think I saw a piece about him on Dake or something. Yeah, you might have. He's been he's been written up quite a few times. But yeah, we found him and I got a picture with him. Follow your bliss. Man. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So we just kind of been riffing on, on fiction and everything. <laughs> but I think one of the things I want to talk to you most about is like writing fiction. Because you've actually mm-hmm. you've written and published one book. Yes. And uh, how's the second one coming along? Because you said you finished <laughs> the first draft, right? Yes. Um, the, my next project is a series of three books. It's going to be more in the thriller genre. Okay. And it's going very well. I'm very happy with how it's turning out. I wish betas would move a little faster, but that's just part of trusting part of your process to other people. Oh, so. beta readers? Yes, beta readers. Those are for, for the uninitiated, that, those are the people... There's alpha and then there's beta readers. Alpha is the group of people who you send your worst, shittiest first draft to who can mostly coach you on concept and just how fleshed out is your idea? How's your timeline? How are these characters and all that? Beta readers are the kind of the snarkier group where you send your second and third drafts to and they give you grammar, content, spelling, and also just say, this doesn't make sense. What the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) Okay. So, so your your first book, um, which is Gin and, Brimstone, Gin and Brimstone, right? Yes. How long is that one? That is, let me see, it is around 280 pages as an ebook. Okay. So, I mean, that's longer by far than anything I've ever written. And it's fiction. <laughs> so, like, the length, the length is what's daunting to me, right? Mm-hmm. So what's your process uh, for starting a huge project like that? Well, I, I need to clarify. Jenna Brainstone was my first work, so that means I agonized it for years until I finally just said, you know what, this is, I want a career as a writer. In order for me to have that career, this needs to get out into the world, even though I know it's going to be shitty. Okay. And I say I know it's going to be shitty because it's the first thing I wrote. Right. It's the first book I ever wrote. I had written, I worked as a journalist in many capacities before. I would written a lot before, but this is my first book. And because it's my first book, it's probably going to be my worst book. Mm. You know, I just, that is a commonly lightning usually doesn't strike the first time. And I think by accepting that you free yourself a a lot of anxiety because if I, if my first book was published when I was 24, I'm in for a long and horrible career. So it's very free to just say, you know what, this is probably going to be my worst book, but for this, for me to have a career in the life that I want, 
I need to get this out there. Right. And that makes sense. Like I know, uh, Neil Stevenson doesn't really like the first couple of books he wrote. No, nobody and does. He doesn't nobody even. Likes well, some people like the big U still, but, um, well, I mean like nobody likes the first thing. Oh, the first books they write. No, I haven't yeah. met a single author so far that loves the first thing they ever wrote. They'll love like parts of it, but it's in no way what they consider their greatest work. Except for uh, Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's, there's like the edge aspects. case. Yeah. I love Jen and Brimstone for what it is, which is my first work. Mm-hmm. There's aspects of it, and there's parts of it where I'm like, oh, that's great. I want to use that in future work. But then there's also parts that just make me groan. Yeah. But as for the length and my process, basically, if you... <laughs> The basic principle I live my life by is if you really want to do something, you will do it, mm-hmm. which is very simplistic and might be taken as lazy. But I, when I started in Jen and Brimstone, there was such a need for me to work on this book. There was such a need. I was in Ireland on study abroad, actually. And I just, I was in a pub. I was coming home after a long walk. I walked to the Holy Strell Wells. And it was a beautiful day. But I came back and I'm like, I could go out but I really want to write. So it's like I lived in, I was staying in a hotel over a pub and I'm like, I could go and hang out in live music. I'm only here for one night, but I really want to write, which is so nerdy, but I wanted to do it. Yeah. You know? So if only, even if I only do 500 words a day, that's still 500 words a day that I'm consistent with. Right. That's a, That's my other big thing that isn't very sexy, but it's, what has led me to write as much as I have consistency is better than bulk. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I am fascinated by fast drafting and I really want to get into it. And I think it'd be really fun, which fast drafting is kind of where you take yourself, (laughs) sit yourself in a chair and you write 5,000 plus words a day. Yeah. And I've definitely listened to interviews of people where they've written entire books in two days or 24 hours. Like that is fantastic. I want to start baby steps to do that. Right. I think that was my problem. Yeah. It's Um, more important to do 500 words every day for a month mm -hmm. than to write 30,000 words in seven days and then don't touch it again for two more months. Yeah. There was an event I went to called uh, Finish Up Weekend. Oh, that's fun. It was really cool. Like, have you ever been to a startup weekend or you know what a startup weekend is? Yes, I know what it is. Yes. Okay. So, like, Finish Up Weekend, they kind of just took the opposite. Uh, concept. They were like, all right, if you're a creative person and you have a project you want to finish, we're just going to, we're just going to like show up at this office. We're just going to work on our projects for like the next three days. And that's so, yeah, it was awesome. I went there and there was this dude, Josh Long. He was, I think he was working at Treehouse at the time, but Mm -hmm. he sat there and he wrote an entire book like over the weekend. And I was like, why can't I do that? So like, Yeah. You know, it gets into your head like, oh, all I need to do is like take a weekend, yeah. sit down and write the entire book. But then and then like that, that day never comes. Right. You will hate that book, too. You yeah. won't want to touch it again after that. That, that mean, could also def- be, uh, you know, that could also be a risk as well. Well, I definitely I identify with procrastination a lot. Like I remember one story from Oliver Sacks who stands for me. Well, that dude. He just procrastinated on writing a book so much that he made a deal with himself. You need to write this book in seven days or else you will shoot yourself. That's pretty neat. <laughs> but see, the, the thing is, and that worked for him because he was able to block out the time, look mm-hmm. at all of his research, and then it became a joy. You yeah. Know? 
once he, you isolate yourself and get yourself in that frame of mind. But again, I'd much, much, much rather have a consistent, slower approach that is, that stays the same. Yeah. There is somebody I, I can I think I'm thinking of right now who's sort of like melded that approach. Mm-hmm. So um, this guy, Nick Winter, he oh, yeah, wasn't like, I'm going to shoot myself, but it was, <laughs> if I don't, you know, meet my writing goal, I'm going to give away $7,000. Exactly. Was. But then the goal wasn't to finish the book in X number of days. It was to write a thousand words a day. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's a good thing to do. No, I would write a thousand words a day on my novels if I didn't have other ghostwriting projects and freelancing writing projects to do at the same time. Yeah. One thousand so, words a day is very good. It's a very good goal. I would recommend it if someone doesn't have other writing projects at the same time. Yeah. But if I'm being, I'm currently commissioned for a ghostwriting project wherein I put it on myself to write at least 1500 words a day. So wow. 1500 words a day plus 500 words a day on my novel Plus the Princess Dread movie challenge. It's like I want to give time to each of my projects. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like one is definitely more urgent than the other. Not yeah. that it's more important, but it's more urgent. And you have to you have to budget your time, right? Because there's just a lot you have yes. to juggle. <laughs> yes. I'm my day job, quote unquote, is working as a virtual assistant. So mm-hmm. I am a ghostwriter. I manage people's social media accounts. I kind of help them write newsletters. I kind of just make people's lives easier. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. See, I'm, I'm kind of like juggling the same thing because I have podcasts mm-hmm. and I have blog posts mm-hmm. and now videos that I'm wanting to do, plus other projects. So like, yeah. I have a very like detailed grid of activities <laughs> that I've written out, and now I just need to actually. It's like that's the planning mode. Now I need to get into the working mode and actually do it. Definitely, it's it's hard sometimes for writers, especially because. There's been a de-glamorization of having a day job and writing. And in mm. truth, that's how I always got my best work done. Yeah. And that's how a lot of authors get the best work done. If anything, I would have chosen a, career, a day career that's as different from writing as possible. Because mm. then your mind is refreshed and ready to get into that mode once you come home or once you stop working on that front. I'm very yeah. happy and I'm very pleased with the arrangement I have now because it allows me time to actually get my writing done. When I had typical day jobs, quote unquote, just the commute was horrible. And again, they were kind of close to writing, but not quite. Mm -hmm. So my energy was just drained by the time I got home. You know, it's a good point. When I, uh, when I did my internship a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago Mm -hmm. now, uh, Mm -hmm. it was not writing. It was corporate IT work, you know? So when I got home, I wrote. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's important to have other, not just hobbies, but other things you love and want to learn more about. Yeah, exactly. That's what builds in. I I know the people who have made it as full-time writers in this day and age usually write about many different subjects. Mm -hmm. They write different genres. They write under different pen names. And that's just how self-publishing mostly works is that those people either they've either written dozens and dozens of books on the same subject, which I don't know how on earth someone could do that market board, or they've just written on many different subjects. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the work ethics just uh, astound me, like Brandon Mm -hmm. Sanderson in particular. He's just his output is insane. (laughs) Yeah. And again, if you if you want it, you will make it happen. Yeah. So uh, that's how it so when do, when do you write? Like, do when you do, I, do you get up and you write first thing in the morning or do you kind of oh like 
do whatever yeah. you, you know, do like the chill things in the morning and then ease into it. <laughs> well, again, I love that I have a day job because it allows me to kind of get my head into the processing and business like phase. So I get up in the morning, I have a Coke or caffeine of some kind. Mm-hmm. I usually start in on business work. That's what I call it. Business work. I manage my author page and my Twitter myself, which I love please find me on Facebook (laughs) because I, I love hanging out with people that way. And I think it's incredibly important to do that. I go through my emails first, just so I can get my head straight. I have a general spreadsheet of all of my baby steps and my tasks for that day. So I manage that. That's one of the first things I do. I usually write in the afternoon just after I feel like I have the space to do it. If that makes sense. Cool. Um, I recently watched a video by this guy who's like a, he's like a lettering artist, but he's also a writer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wake up and write first thing in the morning. <laughs> I've tried and that. I and like, sometimes it works. I was like, okay, I'm going to try it because I had like this whole morning ritual where, where I'd go like for a walk, listen to a podcast, like read it for a while. And he's like, mm-hmm. before you consume any content for the day, like do you writing? So for the past couple of days I've done it and like to, it's hard to get into writing the topic you want to write about. Mm-hmm. So I'll just like spend the first few, few paragraphs, like bitching at him for making me write. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, like, now, that, now that I'm doing the princess dread movie challenge, I found that if I haven't finished a movie from the night before, I'll finish it that morning. And okay. that puts me, well, that puts me in a fantastic mood because now I have all of this new content and these new ideas swirling in my head. I recently, movie I would recommend to anybody who loves horror or just loves subtle storytelling is Silent Hill. It's the film version of the video game. Some of the best sound design I've ever seen in a movie. It's the first movie I've ever owned that made me want to have surround sound. I saw that you uh, you posted something about that movie that it like passes the... Passes the Bechtel test. Bechtel test. That's the one where it's like uh, women talk to each other about something other than a man or something like that. Yeah, and they have to meet each other and encounter. Okay. Horror, horror is very good to women. But no, so I, I like doing, I like reading first thing in the morning, either an article or a book. I just, I like filling my head with good content. Really. Okay. I feel like, again, if there's one, if there's another piece of advice I'd give to anyone who wants to be a writer, college age or beyond or before, don't listen to everyone's advice. Because, mm. I mean, you should only read advice and try to stretch your mind and open it up to new and different ways of doing things. But not everything is going to apply to you. Yeah. I guess the only like universal advice would be just to do things and yes. figure out what works for you. Yeah. I we're mean, all weird. <laughs> well, for Pete's sake, not everybody is a success when they're young. And the people who usually are, are nine times out of 10 plus just the lightning in a bottle successes that are never duplicated. Mm. If you want this as a career, you have to be prepared for a long haul, which isn't sexy, which isn't a Hemingway version of the story of being a writer. But frankly, it's a different world. A writer has to also be a business person. You have to be willing to promote yourself. You have to talk to fans of your writing or future fans of your writing. It's a different world. And if you want it as a career, you have to be prepared not to have lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I, that's that brings up a, something I was looking at today because I wrote a post about um, mm-hmm. some things I did like to lazily get out of work 
in my internship, which were <laughs> oh, pretty I've smart. Absolutely, I've done that. I was like, I wanted to include the reference that Dr. Octopus says in Spider-Man 2, where he's like, Peter Parker, brilliant but lazy. And yep. uh, I came across yep. some forum post about that people were talking about people who are brilliant but lazy and how a lot of times like that brilliance gets in the way yes when you get older does. because you were relying on your natural talents that's and, called uh, every startup job i've ever had yeah talent doesn't or what is it hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard or something like that like you gotta just something like that do yeah. it because well, and also just yeah <laughs> it only it only lasts for a certain amount of time right it does. It really does. I remember, oh God, <laughs> this is really personal, way more than I thought I would say, but <laughs> I was called a brilliant writer when I was very young, but basically people didn't realize, oh, if you want to be a writer, you kind of have to be antisocial. So I was discouraged from writing for many years because people, because I didn't really have many friends. So my mom's like, no, writing isn't social. So go oh. and do that. But so that actually took a few years to kind of get over and kind of just say, you know what, screw this. I'm going to write because I want to write. This is what I want to do right. for the rest of my life. So in order to get over that, I'm like, it was a relief to hear talent isn't everything mm-hmm. because talent often gets caught up in itself. And if you want this as a career, it's like every other career. You have to invest the time. You have to push yourself. You have to learn from your craft. You have to read, which often sometimes is hard for me because I don't always want to take time and read books. But right. you can read articles, you can read long form things, you can watch films and just learn how those are structured. You know, for me, watching anime was a big part of that because I didn't get into it when I was young. So it was good to just feed off of ideas from a different universe, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know. It, it was. It, it was. I guess what I'm trying to say is, it was a huge relief to hear. Writing is like every other career. Mm-hmm. It really is at its heart, especially now that self-publishing is becoming more normal. Right. Definitely. I'm surprised you didn't ask me why I chose to self-publish. You know, I should. I guess I should ask that. I, I've been like <laughs> doing so much research mm-hmm. for my own book that it's like, oh, self-publishing is obvious. But yeah, I guess uh, for the people who don't know much about the differences, why did you go with self-publishing? Well, first of all, I wanted to be traditionally published for 99% of my life. Okay. And if I, if I achieve that, part of me will be super fulfilled from that. But just reading about it and experiences of people who had gone self-publishing versus traditional publishing, people who had done both, basically, mm-hmm. they basically said, you are at the mercy of everyone in the process that way. Right. So you could spend years in limbo you have to write up a query letter. For me, researching how to write a query letter was terrifying because it's like, here, pitch everything about you. And again, your first book is going to be super emotional. It'll be your baby. It will be sacred, but you will also hate it because you know it's not that good. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of emotions tied up in that. And also just what I liked about writing was that it was like every other career. And that in order to get good at it, you had to do a lot of it in the beginning. You had to move past the transitionary period where you have taste and you have talent, but your form sucks. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I want to move past that stage and just write a lot. It probably won't all be good. Probably won't be very good at all. But Mm -hmm. once I move past the stage, I will have evolved a little bit more. Yeah. And and the only way to move past it is to just put out stuff that you don't really like that much 
right? Don't, well, don't like that much or just accept that, hey, but, this isn't yeah. going to be the best stuff I've ever written, which you is You know fun. it's not up to your taste. <laughs> exactly. So which, that's yeah. the approach I'm taking with video because I want to do video mm-hmm. and I, I watch all these great like Vsauce and uh, like Veritasium and all the great people on YouTube who make amazing videos. Yeah, and I'm exactly. like, there's no way I'm going to put out something that good first try. So exactly. instead, I'm going to do a video every week until I'm Train good. yourself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I, the way I viewed it in my view, and maybe there's other people that felt differently, but if I went the traditionally publishing route, I would be waiting a long time to have one thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that would be more successful, but maybe it wouldn't be. And I probably wouldn't earn the money that I would need to live that way, too. Right. So I just thought, you know what, I'm at that time I was 22. So I thought, I'm 22 years old. I'm going to I'm going to self-publish because it's more in line with my craft goals right now. Exactly. Right on. Well, hey, I got another interview coming up, but uh, this conversation has been a ton of fun. And to wrap it up, I want to ask, I know you already recommended Walden on Wheels. Mm-hmm. But uh, for anybody like looking to get into writing or just in general, like helpful in college, what other resources do you recommend people check out? Oh, goodness. Um, for people for people with anxiety in college, I highly recommend the blog called Love. I think it's called Fear. No, that's the book. Uh, the Fearful Adventurer. OK, that's a very good blog about anxiety, but still doing what you want to do anyway. I definitely had fear of missing out with travel. And she she was by far the most real voice on travel and living with anxiety, but not being, oh, poor me about it. Okay. Just living despite anxiety. So I would highly recommend that. That was a great comfort through college. For people who want to get into writing, I recommend a podcast called The Creative Pen. And that's okay. a very good the creative pen and rocking self-publishing both because they talk about writing the craft in addition to publishing the process. And also it's, it's better for beginners I find because they're not all about the business end of writing, which I right. know turns a lot of people off on self-publishing because it's like, Oh, I just want to write whatever I want to <laughs> which is a completely fine feeling. Yeah. But they talk about writing and their craft and they interview a lot of writers about their process as well. Cool. Yeah, I'll check the podcast out. A podcast out. I've been listening to one called "Writing Excuses." Uh, which that's, uh, that's okay. I, I I like it. It's not to my taste, but um, if you're okay. getting something of it, that's great. If I've only listened to a few episodes, and mm-hmm. mainly because I'm just a, a huge Brandon Sanderson fan. But I've I liked what I've listened to so far. The only thing I don't like is that, I, and I think this is because they just don't realize there's a bug with their podcast feed <laughs> thing. Uh, you can only get the last ten episodes. Through oh, any okay. other player, like you can go on their website, you can see everything. But if like you want to use like the iTunes player, you can only get the last ten. Oh, dear. I think their WordPress plugin is like has a bug or something. So maybe yeah. I'll have to email them and fix it for them. But uh, I've liked can it so I, far. But I'll definitely check out the Creative Pen. Do you? Re- can I recommend one more thing? Yeah. This is a podcast I recommend for creative people in general, okay. not just writers or fans of movies. It's called "How Did This Get Made." It's basically. Oh, okay. It's. It's so funny. It's basically really funny writers and creative people getting around and talking about bad movies. They basically, I think, yeah, the next, episode, pretty fun. the next episode is Staying Alive. Okay. Where they basically talk about, here's this movie, here's some of the history behind it. Let's just go through it and review how messed up and how crazy 
this film is. But at the end, they reveal how much money it costs to make, how much money it made. And would you recommend it as a good, bad movie? So cool. it's just, it's fun because you get to see the creative energy. You get to hear from people in the industry and just writers and screenwriters and actors. And it's such a nice creative chemistry that right. I would definitely recommend it for anyone looking to write or love movies or artists or anybody like that. Cool. Well, I might have to check that one out tomorrow morning when I go on my walk. So <laughs> yeah, uh, if people so. want to connect with you online or find your work, where should they go? <laughs> well, I have a Facebook author page. It's at facebook.com slash Brit Writes Books. Okay. I'm on Twitter as at Brit McGinnis. I'm on Steam as Cloud Witch. And I am on The Unaccomplished Lady as Princess Dread. Cool. Well, thanks so much yeah. for coming on the show. This has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you got something useful or at least entertaining out of that interview with me and Brit. And maybe you even got some uh, inspiration to go watch some of our favorite anime. I don't think you'll be disappointed. But anyway, remember how last week I said that I would be publishing a new podcast every week? Well, I am happy to tell you that that is a reality now. So I have got interviews either recorded or booked through the end of October. And you're going to be getting a new episode of the SIG podcast. Uh, every single week on Mondays, hopefully right bright and early in the morning from now on. So thanks to my new whiteboard organization system, that is possible. And if you want to read about that organization system, I'll link up in the show notes how I do all my planning on whiteboards now and how it's helping me stay more organized. Um, by the way, if you didn't catch it in the intro, the show notes can be found at CIGpodcast.com. Scroll down, find the episode 30 link, and you'll find links to everything we mentioned in this episode, including that blog post, including Britt's book, places you can connect with her, and lots of other good stuff. Um, by the way, if you have questions, email them to me at thomas at collegeinfogate.com. And if you're getting valuable stuff out of this podcast, then obviously subscribing is an awesome thing you can do. But also, if you would like, you can leave a review on iTunes and a rating. Let me know how I'm doing. That also helps bump the show, and I would like to read a review real quick before I sign off. And this review comes from Sally Drumman, and she says, I wish someone had told me about this earlier. Five stars. Remember how nervous you were as an incoming freshman, always asking questions and advice from friends who were in college so you could be prepared? Let me tell you, I wish someone had told me this podcast existed before I entered college. This is such a valuable tool for anyone who wants to be more successful and knowledgeable both during and post-undergrad. You rock, Thomas. Keep doing your thing. Well, Sally, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. I'm humbled to hear that. And I hope that this podcast just continues to keep getting better and giving all of you guys better and better information as it goes on. If this is uh, the latest episode and you're catching up with everything and you want more, I would also like to let you know that I'm getting into YouTube now. So if you go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash videos, you'll get shot over to my YouTube page where... Hopefully every week I'll have a new video up there for you to check out as well. So check that out. And until next week, stay beautiful. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.